It's Wednesday at noon, and you know what that means. It's time for the Economic Warrior. My money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's blood. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Well, good morning or good afternoon, should we say. And uh, Phil, we're entering almost to the summer solstice, I guess. Tomorrow's going to be the longest day of the year, am I correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, yeah, so it's it's beautiful living here in New England. But uh, um, we have a great, and we have a great guest uh, today, uh, a friend and a prior guest, uh, Gretchen Morganson from the Wall Street Journal. We're going to talk about stock buybacks and how that's going crazy. But you could just tell our audience a little bit about your background and how long you've been writing. for You were working for The Times and then... Uh, you've been recently moved out to the journal, but what your uh, right, line of work sure. has been? Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm old, so we go way back. I uh, did spend uh, three years on Wall Street, and that's where I really got to know kind of where the bodies are buried and how things work in the real world down there. So that was um, that was early on, and then I um, actually was a writer at Forbes for many years, and then I joined the New York Times in 1998, and was a um, you know finance. Um, columnist and covered Wall Street and other arenas for um, almost 20 years. And in November, I jumped ship to the Wall Street Journal, where I'm now in the investigations unit with a great team of um, fantastic diggers. And so that's the story in a nutshell. That's great. Now, no, I want to just kind of ask you just a general overall uh, question, uh, Gretchen, because you and I have been watching some of these bubbles now. And uh, with everything that's going on right now, do you think we're in another economic bubble? I mean, when you look at the amount of uh, the valuations on corporations, uh, the margin debt's all-time high, uh, equity exposure in people's 401ks and IRAs is all-time high. Um, what's your take on what's going on right now? Well, I'll tell you, I think that it is a, a distinct reaction and a very sensible reaction, honestly, to... Um, a low interest rate period, right? So people are desperate to have some sort of income. They can't keep it in the safe and sound, you know, CDs and other, you know, kind of fixed income investments that are secure because you're just behind the eight ball constantly. And so people who are watching the stock market just climb inexorably higher and higher say to themselves, I'm a chump if I'm not in it. You got to be in it to win it. And so I think a lot of people have been driven into the stock market because of the low yields that you would get on more traditional safe money. So I think that we do have an issue with people who are probably in the market who ought not to be or who are perhaps not prepared for a, you know, a big downdraft. But um, I just think it's, it's a human reaction to an issue where you can't make money um, any other way. Yeah, it's, I guess, an inter- economics question. I guess it's called technically called disintermediation, taking right. a- assets from safe places and forcing them to more speculative. And um, so Wall Street can keep gambling with your money. And um, 
And, and one of the biggest things I see, just kind of an indication, is um, the stock amount of stock buybacks. I mean, I'm just um, I'm floored at, and um, I guess it's an all time high. And according to yep. S and P five S and P Dow Jones indices, which is uh, uh, they said that this amount of stock backs buybacks were over one trillion dollars for one year. What's a stock well, buy? First of all, the, please please tell me what a stock buy back is. Okay, well, companies are, um, there's a lot of reasons why companies are doing more of these, but it, how it works is a company goes into the market and it decides, its management decides that it wants to um, buy back shares. That means that they're going to reduce the number of shares outstanding. Um, and so, you know, they, this is allowed under uh, SEC rules, and so they go in and they buy a set amount. They usually announce these plans, and they um, basically say, uh, we're going to buy this amount, amount of stock back. We think we're, we're doing it. They usually have a different array of reasons, but typically they, are, they claim to be doing it because they think the stock is undervalued. And uh, so uh, it's very it's it's been increasingly popular, and according to um, a resource that I use, um, and which I wrote about uh, last week, yeah. the um, you know the buybacks that we're seeing now, uh, as of I think June, like middle of June or June eighth or something, it was five hundred billion. So yeah, you could easily see a trillion this year. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, it was actually, I forget the guy's name, Howard Silverblatt or something like that. But there was a trillion between, uh, like, April 1st, 2017 and March 31st, 2018. I, so that's the most recent year. Yeah, well, that would make sense. Yeah, so it's it's like, now, so so what's good about stock buybacks? I mean, just, I'm just asking you as a reporter. Well, you know, obviously what they do is they um, reduce the shares outstanding, which makes a company's earnings per share look better, right? Because mm -hmm. the number of shares outstanding declines, and so therefore um, your EPS goes up. So companies like to do buybacks because they can make their earnings per share look better. There are a lot of other reasons, there's several other reasons why buybacks are popular among companies that are not necessarily shareholder friendly. And so one of them is that a lot of companies have as a benchmark for executive pay um, earnings per share growth. Yeah. And so you can imagine a situation where a company decides to buy back its shares, its earnings per share go up, and the CEO gets a bigger bonus. So that is an issue that people do care about with buybacks and have found you know, some criticism um, because of that. So, you know, and the other thing that I find very um, kind of dubious about buybacks, and you can't say this about every case, but it seems to indicate that you have a company management who has run out of ideas about how to invest in their business, right? Yeah. So it's like you can't come up with anything better than a stock buyback right, <laughs> to run your company. I know, I agree. And, and so it's, you know, you really have to wonder about that. The other thing that's pernicious about the buybacks is that um, when you have these paid at very high levels in the market, when a company goes in, you know, after the stock has risen, you're really paying a rich premium to buy back the stock and it might not be a good use of corporate capital. 
Amen, Gretchen. You know, and now, and I'm going to yeah. throw you kind of a, a softball or I know a curve, whatever. You know, I see some of these things like uh, Eddie Lampert, and because actually we had Bill Cohen who uh, wrote the article uh-huh. I never saw about in Vanity Fair about um, uh, him running Sears. Eddie Lampert uh, bought 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 back Sears uh, shares as much as 132 bucks a share. Uh, and I think it, uh, Sears is trading a lot, about 11 bucks a day or something like that. And um, so it was obviously a poor use of cash. But, but, but then again, the company I like to pick on is that under um, General Electric, under Jeffrey Emmelt's tenure, he bought $24 billion worth of stock in 2016 and 17, and the shares went backwards. I mean, right. It, it, so that was a perfect example of a bad use of corporate capital and a, a, a perfect example, probably, of a manager, an executive who had nothing better to do, no good ideas about how to build the business. And we see it in GE stock price. Look at it. I mean, the thing just got kicked out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah, yeah. Could you you tell that? Because this is, you know, GE, I mean, I remember I was a kid, GE was the blue chip of blue chips, okay? Everyone, you buy GE stock and you can retire. Right. Um, so G, and with GE, which was started by um, uh, Thomas Edison, I guess, and J.P. Morgan, um, was the, I, I think, the largest industrial company in the world. And uh, mm-hmm. But but it get kicked out of the, uh, it's going to be kicked out of the Dow Jones Industrials uh, next week. Could you tell people what right. that is? Well, uh, as you know, the Dow Jones is a um, an index of 30 um, stocks that uh, people believe sort of represents the overall market, i.e. they have an array of uh, stocks and array of industries in that index. And, you know, the S&P is another index. They have 500 stocks, but they're supposed to sort of reflect the general, um, you know, economy uh, of this country by the big companies that are in it. So, General Electric has been in the Dow for, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 years or or, um, close to it. And so because the stock has just done nothing, it's been absolutely terrible performer. Um, You know, what often happens is those kinds of companies will be removed from an index because it's really dragging down the index, and investors obviously don't like that. So the decision to remove it from the index is clearly a reflection of the company's stock just being, you know, dead money, if not worse. <laughs> you know, but you know what replaced it with? I, I got to kick it. You know who replaced? Uh, yeah, Walgreens. Yeah, Wal- Walgreens. Alliance Boots Walgreens, okay, which was, right. which was a, you know, how I love private equity, but that was a deal clobbered together by KKR. And Stefano Bassina, or whatever it is, the, the Italian billionaire, which I, I just I was like, oh my goodness, this more financial engineering. So GE got kicked out by a company essentially put together by uh, private equity titans, which I, I, I kind of find kind of amazing. Well, that's the, that's the way the world works now. You know that. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, but another one, Apple uh, announced that, you know, I just see some of this as kind of a misallocation of capital. Apple yeah, announced right. this year $100 billion in buybacks. I mean, can't they come up with something else, like a better Apple ITV or something like that? I mean, uh, Well, you would hope so. And, you know, that's a, been a pretty innovative company. And so I think that's the thing that um, people may be a little bit surprised by. But, you know, clearly with some of these other um, buyback announcements, it really, I think, is designed just to kind of 
propel the stock and make the stock look, you know, uh, like a better performer. And that's really financial engineering in my book, and it doesn't really um, add tremendous uh, tremendous value. So there was an interesting thing that um, uh, the new SEC commissioner uh, did a study, and he's a former um, professor at Columbia and NYU law schools, and he commissioned a study on what insiders were doing after the buyback announcements were made, and what he found was that a lot of them were selling into the bounce. So when a buyback announcement comes out, then the stock usually rises because people understand that's good, that's bullish. And so what a lot of these insiders were doing was selling into the bounce. Now, that's not illegal, but it's sort of you know, interesting since many of these companies say, oh, we're buying back the stock because we think it's undervalued. Well, if you think it's undervalued, then why are you selling? So that was a really fascinating study to me. Yeah, and then I look at it, the stupi- you know, well, this is just my opinion, the stupidity of it, like GE's case. I mean, they get a, you know, they have, I think, they, I think their, their, pension, their pension funding ratio, Gretch, is something like 67%. Which oh really? Is, yeah, it's 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 like only it's about as good as an airline, <laughs> which is okay. saying saying much. And but they have like thirty billion in unfunded pension liabilities, um, and then they I think they have another uh, seven billion in a in their SERP uh, pension obligation. So I mean, it's to me they so they spent twenty four billion in buybacks, but they still have this huge obligation. Um, and then it's but it seems to be more about I'm going to get into another deck question, but then. They, GE announced this year who's the who's the new guy Flannery what's the what's the guy yeah. uh, he announced that they're borrowing money to to fund the pension obligation they're borrowing six billion to to fund their pension obligation for this year so it always seems to be about the debt am, am, am I correct Oh for sure absolutely I mean you know the the um, the problem with debt is that the value of the assets that you're, you know, borrowing against can go down, but the debt, the amount you borrowed stays the same. So you can have a situation where it's like a a home equity loan or a mortgage. If if the value of your asset that you borrow against goes down, then you're really uh, in trouble. And a lot, a lot of people learned that lesson the hard way during the, um, the housing crash. Yeah, so this is because you know, and uh, remember, I'm I'm old enough to remember 1999, 2000 when uh, Global Crossing and Adelphia and uh, who was the other big one? Um, oh, World 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 Com- They all they all collapsed because of the debt. That was a major contributing right, factor. Right. And so right. we see that the uh, during the subprime crisis was all about debt and all these complex debt products. Okay, which no one mm-hmm. can understand. But now, and there was a, a guy who works uh, with the journal. Is I think Matthew Wirtz. Uh, I, yes, uh huh. He did. Uh-huh. He did a great piece, which which like kind of uh, frightened me. He said um, that the looks like AT and T is going to be taking over um, uh, Time Warner, and and Comcast is going to maybe taking over Twenty Century Fox. But between the two companies, they're going to have three hundred and fifty billion in debt. Really? Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's, it, it, I got it from your paper, and uh, <laughs> uh, and and so bringing the total debt for non-financial companies worldwide to eleven trillion dollars. I mean, haven't we seen this movie before? Well, yeah. You know, you're right to point out that the debt levels. Um, what's troubling about that when that happens is, you know. 
a stock market collapses or, or crashes or declines, you know, they don't always devastate the economy, right? Like we saw in 2000 with the dot-com bubble bursting, you know, there was a lot of stock market value lost, but it was not as devastating as the mortgage crisis. And it's just always that way that the debt crises are far worse than equity, you know, problems. And so, yeah, you're right to point out the debt levels are very high. And, you know, there's all kinds of uh, lower quality debt being issued, junk and near junk. Um, And, you know, it's this low interest rate environment has really, really welcomed uh, companies to the capital markets to raise debt. But, you know, usually there's going to be a hangover after a very good party. Yeah. And then what, what, what kind of frightens me, too, um, which we uh, we see issues of, was it Cov Light or Covenant Light debt? I know what it is, right. but, but you could explain it to, they'll believe you, Gresham, maybe they won't believe me, but could you explain what Covenant Light debt is to our listeners? Uh, well, I think my understanding of it is that it really takes away from the um, the soundness or the safety of the uh, debt. So, uh, you know, when you borrow money, the people who are lending it to you usually want to have a pretty secure, um, you know, recourse if something goes wrong. They want to be able to, you know, get assets, uh, uh, be sure that they have um, the ability to get their money back. And so in those kinds of situation, it's situations, it's really a little bit more loosey-goosey, and people are accepting uh, less security, as it were, for the... Um, the debt, the, the money that they're lending to these companies. And that's fine when everything's going great, uh, when profits are rising. But, you know, when it uh, goes the other way, then you're kind of in a, in a bind as a debt holder. You don't have the security that you thought you did. Yeah. It's so so that's what I, I've, been, I've been researching. And I guess the, the covenant light issuance of covenant light debt um, has actually been higher, I guess, percentage-wise in Europe. Than the U.S., but that's kind of you know. So this is what we saw during the subprime crisis, and um, and I wasn't really yeah. But these covenants have just been weakened. Um, so you know, um, but so this is I don't you see? I just kind of see it. I mean, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. But uh, um, you know, the student loan debt um, it was at one point four trillion now. I think right. Uh huh. Yep. And then also we have the. Um, uh, you know, which uh, the, then the, we have the, the subprime uh, mortgages, uh, not mortgages rather, but the auto oh, loans. Autos, autos. That's, I mean, that's, and <laughs> you know who owns a lot of these subprime companies uh, doing the subprime autos, Gretch? Wells Fargo. It, it, oh, no, no, no. Actually, it's actually private equity. So uh, actually, Blackstone. Oh, I see. Yeah, Blackstone's big in, the, in this space, and uh, so the, mm-hmm. uh, so we're seeing higher default rates on this, and. Um, it, it, although it's not the, the 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 scale it was in the subprime mortgages, we're seeing that in um, in uh, subprime autos now. So I, I don't know what, what's going to happen. Uh, but, right. But the um, but yeah. So that's the uh, so it's a uh, but but another thing is we were discussing your industry. Um, um, who, there was another piece. Who was the guy? The guy writes about private equity in the journal. Um, uh, we have several people, so I'm not sure who you mean. But there was someone about the uh, um, 
someone who wrote about how the financial industry continues to extract rents out of people. And um, right. so the, what there's happening, so we're, although we're seeing a squeezing of the, the, the margins on the index funds and things like that, we're seeing the profit margins and other stuff uh, on private equity, real estate, uh, hedge funds, and so forth go through the roof. So make a long story short, uh, there's a essay, a guy by the name of um, Thomas Philippopon. Oh, yes, tell us, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So he was saying that, so no matter what they do, Wall Street still gets their 1.5% to 2%. So uh, it's, it's That's got, right. And it's, it's crazy, but uh, it's um, it's just really um, – um, so um, any event, so um, well, we wish you best of uh, luck on your new position. And uh, uh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, matter of fact, didn't what did, what did stay you, on it? Yeah. So what we you, you did something today? I can't remember what, you, what was your, the article you did today. Oh, today, yes, we were uh, we're a uh, colleague and I, uh, Tom Corrigan, are working on a series in uh, in the bankruptcy sector. And the reason that we think bankruptcy is a place to look right now is because of this debt. These heavy corporate debt loads that are out there. You know, the minute the uh, profit uh, machine starts to sputter, you're going to see some bankruptcies. And so what we're looking at are are fault lines in the bankruptcy system in this country that really allow for potential abuse. Um, And so we think the time is right to examine that because of these heavy debt loads that corporate America has been taking on. And so our story today is about um, McKinsey and Company, which is a that's what amazed me. Advisor, me. yeah. And um, you know, in bankruptcy, you're supposed to be completely transparent, and you're supposed to reveal all your um, connections so that people can see whether there are conflicts. And they simply have not been doing that. And you're also supposed to be a completely disinterested party. Obviously, if you're an advisor, because you are dealing with a lot of different people in bankruptcy um, who have a claim, and you have to determine whose claim is good and whose is not. And so uh, you're not supposed to have an interest, a financial interest, in the outcome of the bankruptcy. But McKinsey's private investment arm has had um, financial stakes in the bankruptcies, in the companies that they've been advising, which is a real no-no in that world. So that's the nature of our story today. Well, yeah, I was kind of floored in that because what do they do? In other words, they're, am I correct in saying maybe assuming they're buying the distressed debt of a company before it goes? Yes, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this is so that sounds like this is what private equity guys do all the time, you know, and then. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, maybe they're just taking a page out of their book. <laughs> you know, and I couldn't believe it because, you know, they, I get they I evidently the bought, you know, debt on. Uh, I was amazed, Sun Edison, which is one of the biggest yes. bankruptcies uh, recently. Right. Um, and then uh, the airlines, okay, I don't know how many times they've been bankrupt, uh, but. Uh, they go in and out like a revolving door. <laughs> you know, so I was like, can they do this? I mean, I I, I was really kind of amazed. I, I, there's something you see in private equity, but I never thought McKinsey. I mean, they're supposed, right. to, they're supposed to be independent. Well, consul- good. I'm glad. I'm glad it uh, raised an eyebrow. Yeah. Well, I, I thought of it anyhow, but they they want to make this stuff so complex. But um, yes, exactly. You know, and uh, keep keep uh, pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, uh, Gretchen. Because <laughs> okay, you know, because right, you know, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care and God bless. And we'll we'll, we'll okay. stay connected. Take care and God bless. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, 
Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?